Clarissa, Volume One by Samuel Richardson, Letter Number Thirty Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. This recording by Patty Brugman. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume One, by Samuel Richardson, Letter Thirty Six. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Saturday, March 18th. I have been frightened out of my wits, still am in a manner out of breath. Thus occasioned, I went down under the usual pretense in hopes to find something from you. Concerned at my disappointment, I was returning from the woodhouse when I heard a rustling as of somebody behind a stack of wood. I was extremely surprised, but still more to behold a man coming from behind the furthermost stack. Oh, I thought at that moment, the sin of a prohibited correspondence. At the same point of time I, that I saw that man, he besought me not to be frightened, and in still nearer approaching me, threw open a horseman's coat, and who should it be but Mr. Lovelace? I could not but scream out yet attempted to scream the moment I saw a man, and again when I saw who it was, for I had no voice, and had I not caught hold of a prop which supported the old roof, I should have sunk. I had hitherto, as you know, kept him at a distance, and now, as I recovered myself, judge of my first emotions, when I recollected his character from every mouth of my family, his enterprising temper, and found myself alone with him in a place so near a by-lane and so remote from the house. But his respectable behaviour soon dissipated these fears and gave me others. Lest we should be seen together and information of it be given to my brother, the consequence of which I could readily think would be, if not further mischief, an imputed assignation, a stricter confinement, a forfeited correspondence with you, my beloved friend, and a pretense for the most violent compulsion, and neither the one set of reflections nor the other acquitted him to me for his bold intrusion. As soon, therefore, as I could speak, I expressed with the greatest warmth my displeasure, and told him he cared not how much he exposed me to the resentment of all my friends, provided he could gratify his own impetuous humour. I then commanded him to leave the place that moment, and was hurrying from him when he threw himself in the way at my feet, beseeching my stay for one moment, declaring that he suffered himself to be guilty of this rashness, as I thought it, to avoid one much greater, for in short he could not bear the hourly insults he received from my family, with the thoughts of having so little interest in my favour that he could not promise himself that his patience and forbearance would be attended with any other issue than to lose me for ever, and be triumphed over and insulted upon it. This man, you know, has very ready knees. You have said that he ought in small points frequently to offend, on purpose to show what an address he is master of. He ran on, expressing his apprehensions that a temper so gentle and obliging, as he said mine was, to everybody but him, and a dutifulness so exemplary inclined me to do my part to others, whether they did theirs or not by me, would be wrought upon in favour of a man set up in part to be revenged upon myself. 
for my grandfather's envied distinction of me, and in part to be revenged upon him for having given life to one who would have taken his, and now sought to deprive him of hopes dearer to him than life. I told him he might be assured that the severity and ill-usage I met with would be far from effecting the proposed end, and although I could with great sincerity declare for a single life which had always been my choice, and particularly that if I ever married, if they would not insist upon a man I had an aversion to, it should not be with the man they disliked. He interrupted me here. He hoped I would forgive him for it, but he could not help expressing his great concern that, after so many instances of his passionate and obsequious devotion, "'And pray, sir,' said I, "'let me interrupt you in my turn. Why don't you assert, in still plainer words, the obligation you have laid me under by this your boasted devotion? Why don't you let me know, in terms as high as your implication, that a perseverance I have not wished for, which has set all my relations at variance with me, is a merit that throws upon me the guilt of ingratitude for not having answered it as you seem to expect. I must forgive him, he said, if he, who pretended only a comparative merit, and otherwise thought no man living could deserve me, had presumed to hope for a greater share of my favour than he had hitherto met with when such men as Mr. Symes, Mr. Wyerley, and now lastly so vile a reptile as this Solmes, however discouraged by myself, were made his competitors. As to the perseverance I mentioned, it was impossible for him not to persevere, but I must needs know that were he not in being, the terms Solmes had proposed were such as would have involved me in the same difficulties with my relations that I now laboured under and therefore took the liberty to say that my favour to him far from increasing those difficulties would be the readiest way to extricate me from them. They had made it impossible, he told me, with too much truth, to oblige them any way but by sacrificing myself to Solmes. They were well apprised, besides the differences between the two, one whom they hoped to manage as they pleased, the other who could and would protect me from every insult, and who had natural prospects much superior to my brother's foolish views of the title. How comes this man to know so well all our foibles? But I wonder how he came to have a notion of meeting me in this place. I was very uneasy to be gone, and the more as the night came on apace, but there was no getting from him till I had heard a great deal more of what he had to say. As he hoped that I would one day make him the happiest man in the world, he assured me that he had so much regard for my fame that he would be as far from advising any step that was likely to cast a shade upon my reputation, although that step was to be ever so much in his own favour, as I would be to follow such advice, but since I was not to be permitted to live single, he would submit it to my consideration whether I had any way but one to avoid the intended violence to my inclinations, my father so jealous of his authority, both my uncles, in my father's way of thinking, my cousin Morden, at a distance, my uncle and aunt Hervey, awed into insignificance, was his word. 
My brother and sister inflaming every one, Solmes offers captivating, Miss Howe's mother rather a party with them, for motives respecting example to her own daughter. And then he asked me if I would receive a letter from Lady Betty Lawrence on this occasion, for Lady Sarah Sadlier, he said, having lately lost her only child, hardly looked into the world or thought of it farther than to wish him married, and preferably to all the women in the world with me. To be sure, my dear, there is a great deal in what the man said. I may be allowed to say this without an imputed glow or throb. But I told him nevertheless that although I had great honour for the ladies he was related to, yet I should not choose to receive a letter on a subject that had a tendency to promote an end I was far from intending to promote, that it became me, ill as I was treated at present, to hope everything, to bear everything, and to try everything, when my father saw my steadfastness, and that I would die rather than have Mr. Solmes he would perhaps recede. Interrupting me, he represented the unlikelihood there was of that, from the courses they had entered upon, which he thus enumerated, their engaging Mrs. Howe against me in the first place, as a person I might have thought to fly to, if pushed to desperation, my brother continually buzzing in my father's ears that my cousin Morden would soon arrive, and then would in insist upon giving me possession of my grandfather's estate, in pursuance of the will, which would render me independent of my father, their disgraceful confinement of me, their dismissing so suddenly my servant, and setting my sisters over me, their engaging my mother, contrary to her own judgment against me. These, he said, were all so many flagrant proofs that they would stick at nothing to carry their point and were what made him inexpressibly uneasy. He appealed to me whether ever I knew my father recede from any resolution he had once fixed, especially if he thought either his prerogative or his authority concerned in the question. His acquaintance with our family, he said, enabled him to give several instances, but they would be too grating to me, of an arbitrariness that had few examples even in the families of princes, an arbitrariness which the most excellent of women, my mother, too severely experienced. He was proceeding, as I thought, with reflections of this sort, and I angrily told him I would not permit my father to be reflected upon, adding that his severity to me, however unmerited, was not a warrant for me to dispense with my duty to him. He had no pleasure, he said, in urging anything that could be so construed, for however well warranted he was to make such reflections from the prerogatives they were continually giving him, he knew how offensive to me any liberties of this sort would be, and yet he must own that it was painful to him who had youth and passions to be allowed for, as well as others, and who had always valued himself under speaking his mind to curb himself under such treatment. Nevertheless, his consideration for me would make him confine himself in his observations to facts that were too flagrant and too openly avowed to be disputed. It could not, therefore, justly displease, he would venture to say, if he had made this natural inference from the premises, that if such were my father's behaviour to a wife who disputed not the imaginary prerogatives he was so unprecedentedly fond of asserting, what room had a daughter to hope 
that he would depart from an authority he was so earnest and so much more concerned to maintain. Family interests, at the same time engaging, an aversion, however causelessly conceived, simulating my brother's and sister's resentments and selfish views, cooperating, and my banishment from their presence depriving me of all personal plea and entreaty in my own favour. How unhappy, my dear, that there is but too much reason for these observations and for this inference, made, likewise, with more coolness and respect to my family than one would have apprehended from a man so much provided, and of passions so high, and generally thought uncontrollable. Will you not question me about throbs and glows, if from such instances of a command over his fiery temper for my sake, I am ready to infer that were my friends capable of a reconciliation with him, he might be affected by arguments apparently calculated for his present and future good. Nor is it a very bad indication that he has such moderate notions of that very high prerogative in husbands, of which we in our family have been accustomed to hear so much. He represented to me that my present disgraceful confinement was known to all the world, that neither my sister nor my brother scrupled to represent me as an obliged and favoured child in a state of actual rebellion, that nevertheless everybody who knew me was ready to justify me for an aversion to a man whom everybody thought utterly unworthy of me, and more fit for my sister, that unhappy as he was in not having been able to make any greater impression upon me in his favour, all the world gave me to him nor was there but one objection made to him by his very enemies, his birth, his prospects, all very unexceptionable, and the latter splendid. And that objection, he thanked God, and my example, was in a fair way of being removed forever, since he had seen his error and was heartily sick of the courses he had followed, which, however, were far less enormous than malice, and envy, had represented them to be, but of this he should say the less, as it were much better to justify himself by his actions than by the most solemn asservations and promises. And then, complimenting my person, he assured me, for that he always loved virtue, although he had not followed its rules as he ought, that he was still more captivated with the grace of my mind, and would frankly own that till he had the honour to know me, he had never met with an inducement sufficient to enable him to overcome an unhappy kind of prejudice to matrimony, which had made him before impenetrable to the wishes and recommendations of all his relations. You see, my dear, he scruples not to speak of himself, as his enemies speak of him. I cannot say, but his openness in these particulars gives a credit to his other professions. I should easily... I think, detect a hypocrite, and this man particularly, who is said to have allowed himself a great in great liberties, were he to pretend to instantaneous lights and convictions. At this time of life, too, habits, I am sensible, are not so easily changed. You have always joined with me in remarking that he will speak his mind with freedoms, even to a degree of unpoliteness sometimes and that his very treatment of my family is a proof that he cannot make a mean court to anybody for interest's sake. 
What pity, where there are such laudable traces, that they should have been so mired and choked up, as I might say? We have heard that the man's head is better than his heart, but do you really think Mr. Lovelace can have a very bad heart? Why should not there be something in blood in the human creature as well as in the ignobler animals? None of his family are exceptionable, but himself indeed. The characters of the ladies are admirable, but I shall incur the imputation I wish to avoid. Yet what a look of censoriousness does it carry in an unsparing friend to take one to task for doing that justice, and making those which ought without scruple to do, and to make, in the behalf of any other man living. He then again pressed me to receive a letter of offered protection from Lady Betty. He said that people of birth stood a little too much upon punctilio, as people of value also did, but indeed birth worthily lived up to was virtue, virtue, birth, the inducements to a decent punctilio, the same, the origin of both one. How came this notion from him? Else Lady Betty would write to me, but she would be willing to be the first apprised that her offer will be well received, as it would have the appearance of being made against the liking of one part of my family, and which nothing would induce her to make, but the degree of unworthy persecution which I actually laboured under, and had reason further to apprehend. I told him that, however greatly I thought myself obliged to Lady Betty Lawrence, if this offer came from herself, yet it was easy to see to what it led, it might look like vanity in me, perhaps, to say that this urgency in him on this occasion wore the face of art, in order to engage me into measures from which I might not easily extricate myself. I said that I should not be affected by the splendour of even a royal title. Goodness, I thought, was greatness. That the excellent characters of the ladies of his family weighed more with me than the consideration that they were half-sisters to Lord M. and daughters of an earl, that he would not have found encouragement from me, had my friends been consenting to his address, if he had only a mere relative merit to those ladies, since in that case the very reasons that made me admire them would have been so many objections to their kinsmen. I then assured him that it was with infinite concern that I had found myself drawn into an epistolary correspondence with him, especially since that correspondence had been prohibited, and the only agreeable use I could think of making of this unexpected and undesired interview was to let him know that I should from henceforth think myself obliged to discontinue it, and I hoped that he would not have the thought of engaging me to carry it on by menacing my relations. There was light enough to distinguish that he looked very grave upon this. He so much valued my free choice, he said, and my unbiased favor, scorning to set himself upon a footing with Solmes in his compulsory methods used in that man's behalf, that he should hate himself, were he capable of a view of an intimidating me by so very poor a method. But nevertheless there were two things to be considered. First, that the continual outrages he was treated with, the spies set over him, one of which he had detected, the indignities all his family were likewise treated with, 
as also myself, avowedly in malice to him, or he should not presume to take him upon himself to resent for me without my leave, the artful wretch saw he would have lain open here had he not thus guarded. All these considerations called upon him to shew a proper resentment, and he would leave it to me to judge whether it would be reasonable for him, as a man of spirit, to bear such insults, if it were not for my sake. I would be pleased to consider in the next place whether the situation I was in, a prisoner in my father's house, and my whole family determined to compel me to marry a man unworthy of me, and that speedily, and whether I consented or not. Admitted of delay in the preventative measures he was desirous to put me upon, in the last resort only. Nor was there a necessity, he said, if I were actually in Lady Betty's protection, that I should be his, if afterwards I should see anything objectionable in his conduct. But what would the world conclude would be the end, I demanded, were I, in the last resort, as he proposed, to throw myself into the protection of his friends, but that it was with such a view? And what less did the world think of me now, he asked, than that I was confined, that I might not? You are to consider, madam, you have not now an option, and to whom is it owing that you have not, and that you are in the power of those parents, why should I call them, who are determined that you shall not have an option. All I propose is that you will embrace such a protection, but not till you have tried every way to avoid the necessity for it. And give me leave to say, proceeded he, that if a correspondence on which I have founded all my hopes is at this critical conjuncture to be broken off, and if you are resolved not to be provided against the worst, it must be plain to me that you will at last yield to that worst, worst to me only. It cannot be to you, and then... And he put his hand clenched to his forehead. How shall I bear this supposition? Then will you be that Solmes. But by all that's sacred, neither he nor your brother nor your uncles shall enjoy their triumph. Perdition seize my soul, if they shall. The man's vehemence frightened me, yet in resentment I would have left him, but throwing myself at his feet, leave me not thus, I beseech you, dearest madam, leave me not thus in despair. I kneel not, repenting of what I have vowed in such a case as the, that I have supposed. I reavow it at your feet, and so we did. Then think not. It is by way of menace, or to intimidate you to favour me, if your heart inclines you, and then he arose, to obey your father, your brother rather, and to have psalms, although I shall avenge myself on those who have insulted me for their insults to myself and family, yet will I tear out my heart from this bosom, if possible with my own hands, were it to scruple to give up its ardours to a woman capable of such a preference. I told him that he talked to me in very high language, but that he might assure himself that I never would have Mr. Solmes, yet that this I said not in favour to him, and I had declared as much to my relations 
where there are not such a man as himself in the world. Would I declare that I would still honour him with my correspondence? He could not bear that, hoping to obtain greater instances of my favour, he should forfeit the only one he had to boast of. I bid him forbear rashness or resentment to any of my family, and I would, for some time at least, till I saw what issue my present trials were likely to have, proceed with a correspondence which nevertheless my heart condemned. And his spirit him. The impatient creature said, interrupting me for bearing what he did, when he considered that the necessity of it was imposed upon him not by my will, for then he would bear it cheerfully, and a thousand times more, but by creatures, and there he stopped. I told him plainly that he might thank himself, whose indifferent character as to morals had given such a handle against him. For all, it was but just that a man should be spoken evil of who set no value upon his reputation. He offered to vindicate himself, but I told him I would judge him by his own rule, by his actions, not by his professions. Were not his enemies, he said, so powerful and so determined, and had they not already shown their intentions in such high acts of even cruel compulsion, but would leave me to my own choice, or to my desire of living single? He would have been content to undergo a twelve-month's probation, or more, but he was confident that one month would either complete all their purposes, or render them abortive and I best knew what hopes I had of my father's receding. He did not know him, if I had any. I said I would try every method that either my duty or my influence upon any of them should suggest, before I would put myself into any protection, and, if nothing else would do, would resign the envied estate that I dared to say would. He was contented, he said, to abide that issue. He should be far from wishing me to embrace any other protection, but, as he had frequently said in the last necessity, but, dearest creature, he said, catching my hand with ardour and pressing it to his lips, if the yielding up of that estate will do, resign it and be mine. I will corroborate with all my soul your resignation. This was not ungenerously said. But what will not these men say to obtain belief and power over one? I made many efforts to go, and now it was so dark that I began to have great apprehensions. I cannot say from his behavior, indeed he has a good deal raised himself, in my opinion, by his personal respect, even to reverence, which he paid me during the whole conference, for although he flamed out once, Upon a supposition that psalms might succeed, it was upon a supposition that would excuse passion, if anything could, you know, in a man pretending to love with fervor, although it was so leveled that I could not avoid resenting it. He recommended himself to my favorite parting with great earnestness, yet with as great submission, not offering to condition anything with me, although he hinted his wishes for another meeting, which I forbade him ever attempting again in the same place, and I will own to you from whom I should be really blamable and conceal anything, 
that his arguments drawn from the disgraceful treatment I meet with of what I am to expect make me begin to apprehend that I shall be under an obligation to be either the one man's or the other's, and if so I fancy I shall not incur your blame were I to say which of the two it must be. You have said which it must not be. But, O oh my dear, the single life is by far the most eligible to me, indeed it is, and I hope yet to be permitted to make that option. I got back without observation, but the apprehension that I should not gave me great uneasiness, and made me begin a letter in a greater flutter than he gave me cause to be in, except at the first seeing him, for then indeed my spirits failed me, and it was a particular felicity that in such a place, in such a fright, and alone with him, I fainted not away. I should add that having a reproached him with his behaviour the last Sunday at church, he solemnly assured me that it was not what had been represented to me, that he did not expect to see me there, but hoped to have an opportunity to address himself to my father, and to be permitted to attend him home, but that the good Dr. Lewin had persuaded him not to attempt speaking to any of the family at that time, observing to him the emotions into which his presence had put everybody. He intended no pride or haughtiness of behavior, he assured me, and that the attributing such to him was the effect of that ill-will which he had the mortification to find insuperable, adding that when he bowed to my mother it was a compliment he intended generally to everyone in the pew, as well as to her, whom he sincerely venerated. If he may be believed, and I should think he would not have come purposely to defy my family, yet expect favour from me, one may see, my dear, the force of hatred which misrepresents all things. Yet why should Shorey, except officially to please her principles, make a report in his disfavour? He told me that he would appeal to Dr. Lewin for his justification on this head, adding, that the whole conversation between the doctor and him turned upon his desire to attempt to reconcile himself to us all, in the face of the church, and upon the doctor's endeavouring to dissuade him from making such a public overture till he knew how it would be accepted. But to what purpose his appeal, when I am debarred from seeing that good man, or any one who advised me what to do in my present difficult situation? I fancy, my dear, however, that there would hardly be a guilty person in the world were each suspected or accused person to tell his or her own story and be allowed any degree of credit. I have written a very long letter. To be so particular as you require in subjects of conversation, it is impossible to be short. I will add to it only the assurance that I am and ever will be your affectionate and faithful friend and servant, Clarissa Harlow. You'll be so good, my dear, as to remember that the date of your last letter to me was the ninth. End of letter 36 Read by Patty Brugman